want to start today by uh, showing you uh, a couple of pictures of some fairly boring and ordinary things. So the first uh, is a well, a small well in the uh, countryside in Cambodia. Fairly boring, remarkable, unremarkable uh, well. And the second is me. A fairly boring uh, and unremarkable fellow in his basement office uh, in uh, Tasmania. Now, I show you these two boring and unremarkable things because behind their boring and unremarkable appearance are two remarkable stories. Take you back to that boring and unremarkable Cambodian well and you find uh, a story of the power of God. That well uh, was paid for by the uh, children of the Sunday school in my former church. Uh, and uh, I've told this story a few times, so you may be familiar with it, but if not, uh, basically what happened was uh, they uh, dug twice for water for this well. Both times it came up empty. Uh, and so uh, that meant that there'd be no well and the money wouldn't be able to be used. But uh, Abraham uh, walked the school grounds, praying, asking God uh, to show him where the well should be built, uh, came over the place where that well is now built, felt God uh, instruct to dig here, gave the money to the man because he refused to dig a third time unless he was paid first, so potentially wasted the money that had been raised uh, and dug and there was a well. And if that wasn't remarkable enough... This is a well that has the cleanest water in the area and a well that when uh, refugees flee the northern border with Thailand, when Cambodia and Thailand have little skirmishes, uh, provides unending water through wet and dry season for a remarkably large number of people. That's a pretty cool story. That's a pretty remarkable well. So remarkable that when I was there, I was this close to drinking it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but then I just thought, you know, the, 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 the consequences, uh, uh, I just wasn't prepared to pay them, but I, maybe next time uh, I'll take a drink from that well. Now let's go to that other boring and unremarkable thing, me. Uh, here you have uh, someone who is just doing their thing in Tasmania, but the truth is that actually uh, I was a sinner, Self-righteous in the extreme. You know, when I was at school, I used to think that my good behaviour, my lack of saying swear words, uh, getting drunk at parties, uh, my lack of um, uh, uh, not going to church, my family pedigree with a, a minister father, I thought all of these things meant that I was good and perfect and right with God. And then one day this remarkable thing happened. I was sitting on a floor in a camp, on a campsite uh, in southern Tasmania and someone preached the gospel. And for the first time ever, I realised the truth, that I needed saving, that Jesus had died for me. And in that moment, a remarkable thing happened. I went from being a dead man walking to someone who'd been made alive by the Spirit of God. Remarkable indeed. Now, the funny thing is, if we think about those two stories, we tend to prefer the well story. We tend to think, 
How cool is the story of that well? Like, how amazing is it that that well provides that water and it's clean and it never runs dry and that they found the right spot after prayer? That's just amazing. God is just in the business of doing amazing things. But when we think about our own lives and the amazing miracle that is moving from death to life, that is coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, we can be dismissive. We think, oh yeah, you know, no big deal. But actually, if we look at what Paul teaches in Ephesians in the lead up to this prayer, we actually see perhaps a corrective to our tendency to think of the miraculous only in terms of kind of... uh, physical, unexplainable events and not in terms of the spiritual miracles that happen daily when people come to know Jesus. If we look at Ephesians, uh, Paul is uh, uh, reminding uh, this church of the amazing things God has done. And I'll just let me really quickly uh, just spotlight a couple of the things he says. Uh, Firstly, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, he he talks about this very thing I've just been talking about, the dead made living. Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, it's not just me who's an unremarkable uh, human being with a remarkable story going on in my spiritual background. It's every Christian throughout all generations. Death to life. God's gracious action of salvation is truly remarkable and amazing. And we ought not to dismiss it lightly in our own lives. We ought not to dismiss it lightly in the lives of others. It's a marvel. And not only that, but its effects are marvellous and wonderful and miraculous. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2, he talks about the uh, dissolution of ethnic or racial divides. Uh, Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, that is Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This is remarkable. The Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other. And yet, when God works powerfully in the lives of both Jew and Gentile and moves them from death to life and calls them into his kingdom, the dividing walls that exist in the world, they they just fade away. We live in a world at the moment that's obsessed with racism. And the answer is uh, sought in all the wrong places. God in the gospel dissolves division and he brings people together as one human, uh, one humanity in Christ. He is uh, going about the business of uniting a divided humanity 
And if uh, the, the, the diagnosed problems of the world are right, we should note that this is indeed a miracle. And we see this at work, don't we? God is doing this amazing work of life-giving, world-altering, division-diminishing uh, salvation through the power of the gospel. And Paul uh, spotlights this as well, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ. Through the gospel, the good news of salvation, it all builds on and hinges around this story of God at work in his world through sending his son Jesus to die, uh, to make peace with God for us and for us to respond to that with faith, trust and obedience. And when this happens, when we hear the gospel and we let it transform our lives and we move from death to life and we see dividing walls taken down... What's the point of all this? What's God doing? Why? He's making known his plans and purposes as he performs these miraculous deeds. Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, that, that is where we find these miracle, uh, miraculous people, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, the gathering of God's people who've responded to the gospel and moved from death to life, who don't look out with uh, race-coloured goggles anymore, but just see one humanity uh, in Christ built on the, on, the, on the foundation of the gospel. This gathering, us, all the other churches out there that build their foundations on the gospel, this tells Satan and all the heavenly powers and all of the world that God is redeeming a people for himself, that he is in the business of transformation and that he is building a people based not on political view, racial background, social economic status, but on the gospel, on the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants to remind the Ephesians that no matter what happens to them in this world that is tainted by evil and, and cursed by sin, no matter what happens, you can't change this true reality. Verse 12 and 13, he reminds them uh, that even though he is in jail, God is still working. I ask you therefore, verse 13, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Just as Christ's suffering and death didn't mean de defeat, it was, in fact, the road to glory. So Paul, suffering for the church and for the mission, led to the glory of more people experiencing the saving work of Christ. And so too for us, just because we might and will likely face difficulty as we hold on to the gospel, doesn't mean that God's eternal purposes, miraculous power uh, and saving grace is thwarted. Isn't it remarkable what God has done? 
And given all this, given all these remarkable things, what does Paul do? He prays. That's where our reading starts today. He's spotlighted all this marvellous stuff that God has done. And he he literally falls to his knees in awe and he prays. For this reason, verse 14 of chapter 3, I kneel before the Father. And what does he pray? He prays for Holy Spirit-empowered strength. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He prays for Christ-centered love. So that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would understand this love, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And he prays to be for, for the church to be filled with the fullness of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, verse 19, that you may be filled to the full measure or the fullness of God. It's a remarkable prayer for the Ephesian church that uh, as they move from death to life in, through faith in Christ and as they continue to hold on to the gospel, that this would continue by God's Spirit, to shape them, to be more like Jesus, centred on his love, to to understand more about how it is God loves them and to be uh, filled with the fullness of God, continually transformed by his power. And having prayed those words, he moves to that prayer that has kind of been on our lips on and off again over the last four years as a parish. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God can do all these things that Paul prays for. Fill us with Holy Spirit-empowered strength. Center us on Christ's love. Help us to understand it more. Fill us with the fullness of God. He can do all this. He will do all this. And he won't do it for your self-benefit. He's going to do it for his glory. And the fruit of that will definitely be your benefit. Everything Paul has outlined in Ephesians up to this point, this life-altering Uh, 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 a world-changing gospel story is proof that God can and will continue to do amazing, miraculous things. And part of that is going to continually continue to be you and me as Christians being transformed and having prayers like the one Paul prays for us answered in our lives on a day in and day out basis. Let's not undersell the remarkable thing that is the life of a Christian because we do it too often. We think... There's nothing remarkable about... I've never seen God do anything remarkable. I, I, I've never seen God do a miracle. If only, if only I could 
see something amazing happen. Oh, you know, how good would that be my, for my faith? Well, he has. He has done something amazing. He saved you. He saved me. And anything else is a wonderful bonus, but it doesn't diminish from the remarkable work that he's done in your life. You've gone from dead man walking to spirit-filled, power of God knowing, love of God experiencing, Holy Spirit-inspired messenger of the gospel. That is who you are. That is what you've experienced if you've come to know Jesus. And so if God has done that in your life, he's done that in my life, He's done that in the life of the person to your left and your right. Of course, we ought to expect he's going to continue to do that in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And of course, when we read words like Ephesians 3, 20 verses, uh, verses 20 and 21, about a God who can do immeasurably more than we ask him and imagine, we've got enough evidence, even if we've never seen anything remarkable, because he's done something in us. Sometimes we can read these words of a God who can do immeasurably more and we're, we're surprised, we wonder if it's really true. But of course, it ought not to surprise us at all. And of course, God will do more than just change you and your friend. And we've seen remarkable things happen in our community as we've continued to build our lives together around the gospel, haven't we? As we uh, spend time today reflecting on our past and reflecting on where we want to go in the future, uh, we ought to make sure, uh, as we do reflect we get our emphasis right. As we reflect on our past, as we reflect on being kind of uh, the, uh, carrying on the legacy of more than a hundred years of Christians gathering in Lindisfarne, be it in a half-built uh, church uh, or a hall that was up on the, on the corner or uh, in this very building itself. It's easy to kind of feel proud that we're part of such a, a, a wonderful legacy. But pride is not the right response. It's easy for us to feel proud of what we've achieved just in the last few years. But pride is not the right response. Instead, it is praise and thanksgiving because of what God is doing. And it is an immeasurably more remarkable thing than we could have ever asked or imagined. Imagine those Christians who laboured away on this remarkable uh, brick archway uh, some hundred, almost a hundred years ago. And I, I wonder what they were thinking uh, might be in the future for this church. I'm sure they would think it remarkable that a hundred years later, this building was still being gathered in, still being used by the people of God to declare his praises. Our buildings, our resources, our, uh, our, the things we've uh, done, 
They are not a testament to, our, to us or to our ancestors. They are a testament to God, his goodness and his faithfulness. The changed lives of people past and present, none of that is our doing. It is all God's. It is all testament to the gospel, the power and work of the, of the gospel of God through his spirit as we base our lives on the story of Jesus. We've got a projection before us uh, in our kind of vision document of where we hope God might take us in the next four or five years. And we've got some steps marked out on that journey. As we reflect on the letter to Ephesians and what Paul is saying, uh, I wanted to uh, stop before we dive, you know, dive into the nitty-gritty of all of those sorts of things and, and just keep it a little more simple and basic for us today, that, that some more foundational, if you will. As we reflect on what Paul says, I think we ought to commit to three things as we go forward, regardless of everything else, that it will all be good things for us to do. And the first is prayer. Paul outlines all that God has done and it forces him to his knees. We need to be people of prayer. If you like, this document, it's a prayer document. It's a, our prayer for what we hope under God the future might look like. It's not a... It, it, I think it'd be better to think of it as a strategic prayer than a strategic plan. And I hope that you'll save it to your iPads or print it off uh, on your computers or ask me for a copy and put it in your chairs or gardens and read it and ask God for this and ask God what it is that he's calling you to do in response as a member of this fellowship of people and there's all sorts of other ways we can pray as well we've got our Monday morning and Tuesday evening Zoom prayer meetings uh, we've got uh, prayer triplets uh, during the week, I thought, I think sometimes people might find it hard to know uh, uh, what to do. So I've created a spot on the website, lindisfarne.church slash prayer. And it's got all the different ways that we're trying to help you pray as a church. It's got links to those prayer meetings that if you click on them, it'll just open up Zoom and take you straight there. It's got a document that tells you how to go about creating a prayer triplet with one or two other people uh, who you come to church with. It's got a spot where you can send in a prayer request which will come to me and you can tell me how widely you'd like me to share that request and I can pray for you. Uh, it's got a spot for you to share your stories of answered prayer so that we can be encouraged together at what God is doing. But when we remember who God is and what God has done, our first response always needs to be prayer. It seems to me that the, next, the other thing, Paul, the, the, well, the other two things that strike me 
uh, our, our thankfulness. We need to continue to have a thankfulness for what God has done. To be uh, reminding ourselves of God's activity in our world. To get our perspective right. You know, it is a wonderful thing what God has done in your life. No matter how insignificant you feel you may be, God didn't find you insignificant enough to leave you on the trash heap. He sent Jesus to die for you. And he, he made that known to you. And his spirit worked powerfully in your heart so that you would come to know and love him. That is marvellous and ought to promote ongoing thankfulness. No, even if you end up in jail like Paul did. Let alone all the other wonderful things God is doing in your life and in the life of this community. And finally, gospel confidence. That's the last thing I want to leave us with. As we remember who God is and what God has done, we, we, we're, we're driven to our knees in prayer. We're thankful to God for all of that. And then kind of underpinning it all or, or, or because of it all is confidence in the gospel story. You know, it's, it's so easy to, to move our confidence from the gospel to the plan or from the, the gospel to the minister or from the gospel to the assistant minister or whatever it might be. All of these things, plans, staff, they're all good they're helpful. But our confidence in God achieving his plans and purposes ought to be based not on our resources, not on our people, not on our plans, on the gospel. That's what Paul is reminding the Ephesian church. And the only way to continually build our lives on and, and make that our foundation is to keep reminding ourselves about it. Be devoted to God's word. And there are ways that we try and encourage you to do this. Coming along to church, hearing the Bible read, hearing it preached, uh, having it applied to your life. We have other ways too, like small groups. We have a variety of different uh, personal Bible studies, like Encountering God and uh, Every Day with Jesus and uh, Nikki Gumbel's Alpha One Year Bible Plan that we, we recommend. And uh, if you uh, need help with those, uh, I, can, uh, I can show you some of those so that you can build your life on this story. But God has done a remarkable thing. He sent his son Jesus into the world to save it from sin. And you and I have been caught up in this remarkable story. And as we go forward, as individuals, as a church, as a global church, we need to remember that our power, our strength and our ability comes not from ourselves, not from our plans, not from our people, 
but from God, from what he's done and what he's doing. So let's build our lives on the gospel. Let's be thankful for what God has done and let's continue to respond to him in prayer.